Good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're tuning in today. This is week two of our series as now we're in the season of Advent. Last week we talked about there were five things that I really addressed in helping us to overcome any crisis. If you have not uh, listened to that message, go back because it becomes a really important thing as we move forward. As we talk about today, we talk about joy and then we talk about hope and then we talk about peace and then we're going to end 2020 off talking about being thankful or thankfulness. So uh, overcoming the crisis is important and now we kind of add to that talk. So if you haven't tuned in, you haven't caught that one, catch that one whenever it's convenient for you. But I'm so glad you're here today. Today's passage of scripture is gonna come from Luke chapter two and uh, we're gonna read verses eight through 20. But before we do that, I wanna just, uh, while you're flipping in your phone or your Bible, finding that passage, I wanna just to encourage you, remember to to call other people in the church and let let them know you're thinking about them and let's stay close to one another even through these these times where we can't gather publicly uh, by the way speaking of gathering publicly it looks like on December 20th that's the day that we'll start back and maybe uh, be jumping back into live services so uh, December 20th hopefully uh, if nothing changes then that's when we will uh, be able to gather again. But in, until then, I know our life's kind of on, on pause a little bit in our, our gatherings and our groups. Make sure you call out, you send a message, send a text to people uh, around the church. Let them know that you love them. And especially the, the Pope family. Of course, Gracie, uh, a 13-year-old here at the church, Gracie Pope just found out that she has cancer. So reach out to Joy and Trent and Gracie. Let them know you love them. Please pray for them as you continue to pray for the rest of the body as we're in the middle of uh, the crisis of just really the crisis of our lives and in the Pope family especially. So let's read this passage together and then we'll pray. So Luke chapter 2 verse 8 says this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, uh, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as, as they were told. It's an incredible passage, and what we're really going to do is we're really going to look at at verse 10. We're going to spend most of our time on verse 10. But before we do so, I would like to just go and, and just, uh, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that, that God would speak to you today. We've just opened his word and we've just declared his word. And now as I unpack this sermon, I want, 
Uh, and we need the Spirit of God to do what I can't do with my words. And uh, so I'm going to pray that the Spirit of God would impact all of us. Father, we come to you today, and we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and we ask, God, that your, your Spirit would envelop all those who are listening, Lord, that you would speak to us individually. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here, even who's tuning in, who's far from you, God, I pray that you would just reveal to them just the, the love that you have for them. And to... Also, rely just to uh, bring to their mind and their heart the reality that Jesus Christ died on a cross for all of us, and Lord, our, our the only response and the rightful response is is confession and repentance and believing upon Jesus for our salvation. So, Lord, we we pray, God, that you would do a mighty work by the power of your Spirit for all of us who are listening, all those who are tuning in, Lord, speak to us. Maybe if we are a joyless people that we will walk out of this sermon um, and live out this sermon to be more joyful. And Lord, we're just believing that you're gonna do incredible things because you're an incredible God. Amen, amen. Well, if you have been around the church for very long, you know that I love to be in the outdoors and I love to hike. And one of the things I especially like to do is when I like to go out on a hike, there's a two, two and a half mile trail on the west side of the state that I like to hike. And it's a busy trail, which is not my favorite thing. But what I love about this particular trail is you just hike along, but there are a lot of water crossings. And there's water crossing after water crossing after water crossing. And the beautiful thing about a water crossing is, A, water. So there's just the, just the connection that I have with just running water in the woods, which is amazing to me. But also, I love, the, I love the, just the fact I can step on these stepping stones to where I'm in the water, but I'm not engulfed in the water. And I'm sitting above the water, but I'm in the middle of it. I heard a quote earlier this week that really spoke about this in connecting this with joy. And this is what the quote says. Joy is like stepping stones helping us live fully in great and difficult circumstances. This is gonna be so amazing today because what we're gonna find is there's a connection with joy that frees us emotionally, but also there's, there's something we have to fight for when joy is, we're forced that joy is, needs to be an action. So while it's, there is an emotional side of it, there's also some actions that we need to take. And what I, it's just an incredible word picture for me is joy is like stepping stones to where it helps us to, to live our life and not be swept up in the current of our, of our current circumstance and issue, which is why I wanted you to listen to last week's message about five ways to, over, to overcome in any crisis because now we're kind of adding meat to what we talked about then. I want you to know that even in the birth narrative that what we read from Luke chapter two, um, even in the middle of the birth narrative, the times weren't perfect, times were difficult, times were, they were promised one thing and yet it was not delivering like it should have been. And, and, And what I've even taught you and we've discussed really in 2020, earlier this year when we did our whole series talking about revival, I really wanted to point out to you that every revival that happened, it came at a time of tension, a cultural pressure, uh, some spiritual apathy and in confusion. So even in the midst of, of the birth narrative, maybe you haven't connected the dots here, but even in this, there's a lot of these things that are happening. So now we have this awakening of a child, not just the child, he's the God child, he's Emmanuel, he's God with us, which is an amazing thing that I could, I could speak for hours and hours and hours upon. But what I'm really referring to 
is for about 25 years or so before the birth of Jesus, there was a time of what they called Roman peace or the Pax Romana. And the Pax Romana is really an interesting thing and it becomes really a backdrop of understanding the scriptures and, and even so we don't look at the birth narrative of Jesus and think, well, everything was perfect and you know it's like the shepherds and the angels and it's like all of these things that maybe we remember as kids. But the Pax Romana was, Pax Romana, excuse me, was something of, uh, it, they were promising a peace, but it was, it was a counterfeit peace. Again, 25 years before the birth of Jesus, this peace was imposed by, by, Roman, by the Roman military. And it was maintained by the administration and political genius of the emperor. In those times, Julius Caesar was murdered and there was a struggle for power in the Roman Empire. Well, the Roman Empire had been at war and had been battling. So, there, and because they, there was such a struggle for power in between this gentleman by the name of Octavian and then somebody else by the name of Mark Antony, and because they couldn't, neither one of them was willing to, to give uh, the other one the position of absolute authority, they decided that they were gonna divide their authority where Octavian would take the east and then Mark Antony would take the west. Furthering the story along, after a military victory and the death of Mark Antony, Octavian, he became the undisputed head of all of the Roman Empire. So he knew, he was very wise, he knew that all of the battles had taken their tolls on the families, of the Roman families. He knew that the battles had not only taken the tolls on the, on the families as now dealing with the loss of loved ones and, and those social issues, but also the other issues. Now uh, commerce had kind of clogged up. They didn't have as much that was happening as far as the, the financial side of the Roman Empire. So, what the Roman emperor decided to do, he says, no, I'm gonna, we're gonna maintain this, this Pax Romana, this, this time of Roman peace where we're gonna make sure that we don't just send our, our boys and men off to war anymore. Instead, we're gonna stay at home and we're gonna deal with the affairs at home. Well, that sounds great. Like if we were just to stop there, we'd say, well, what's wrong with this? But here's the thing. All through this, the only way that this idea of Roman peace is maintained is by the power and the authority of Roman rule. This would be very difficult for the early Christians, even following, uh, following, of course, the birth of Jesus and, and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and the launch of the early church in Acts 2. This would be problematic because for them, Although there was this time of Roman peace, it was only a peace for those who would comply with the Roman rule. So sure, Rome brought world peace, but it was peace with heavy taxes, armies of mercenaries stationed all over the land. The Roman culture and values being force-fed to the people, the gladiatorial games, which we've, we've talked about, the historical ramifications of that, and of course there was slavery. So there were still wars, there was still poverty, and there was still justice. And I just want to encourage you with this, not all of the, the power of Rome nor the progress of modern technology was able to satisfy the people's deepest needs, the needs for life's meaning or to break the bonds of sin. But something unique was about to happen in this little remote, insignificant proverbs, uh, province in Rome's empire the birth of a baby would do what no authority or no invention could one day that baby would be full grown 
And he would say, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full from John 10, 10. As we jump back into our passage, again, I'm not going to do what I typically do and, and work all the way through the passage. I really want us to, to zone in on a couple uh, verses here, and one of them is verse 10. Of course, this is after the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, as I probably would be, maybe you would be too, if we're in the middle of this. But verse 10, it tells this, this amazing account. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy for all, or that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior, that means a deliverer, has been born to you. He is Christ. He is Messiah, the Lord. And the Lord, He is the commander and He is the master. So we see this, this promise in verse 10. It says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So there's something here that is really amazing is this news is for all the people. So this, isn't, this is a, a foreshadowing, a prophecy, if you will, of, of what's gonna come in the future and what the early church would be living out of even in Jesus's life, the way that Jesus, he, he spoke to people outside of the Jewish people. And when in verse 10, it says it'll be for all the people. It says that the, that the message of the gospel isn't just for Jews, it's for non-Jews. It's for people like me. It's for people like you. That any of us could confess and we could believe in our heart that Jesus was, he died on a cross and, and he rose from the dead and that he is indeed God. Romans 10, 9 and 10. Like we, we can have this reality that this promise is for all people. The gospel is wide open for all people. The message of joy is there for all people through Jesus Christ. And notice also that this message came to shepherds. I find this so fascinating because shepherds, just the very nature of what they would do, they would not be sitting at any cultural center. They would be out in the remote lands. They'd be out in the pasture, i.e. their shepherds. That's, that was their livelihood. That's what they did. So, and yet the message comes to shepherds. It didn't come to spiritual leaders. It didn't come to world leaders. It came to shepherds. This message came to simple shepherds. The message in verse 10, that said uh, that, that I would bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That this message is for all the people. One of the things that, it says in verse 11, it says, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. He is Messiah, the Lord, the Master and the Commander. There's, a, there's an absolute claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and this is still the claim today that Jesus is the, he is the fulfillment of the messianic promises of the Old Testament. In some of the messianic promises, what we would see in Isaiah 61, I want us to look at this. We're not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but I, I, I'm, uh, I want us to at least look at this passage in Isaiah 61, one through three, and hold your place in Luke 2. But the reason why I want us to look at this, uh, just the short passage, verses one through three, is I want to show you, after we read it, I want to show you all of the implications that were to be brought about by the Messiah. By the Messiah. All of these implications. 
And, and what is so profound is not only were all these implications worthwhile for those who were there, uh, for the shepherds who were hearing that, knowing of the backdrop of the Roman Empire, but also us today, they have implications for us. In uh, chapter 61, verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has, appo- has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness, another word for joy, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the pl- a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Of course, this is a messianic prophecy. This is talking about Jesus, and Jesus was the, the fulfillment. He is the fulfillment of this passage. But now, I just want to do a flyover of the implications here. First thing we're going to see is when the Messiah was coming, that there would be economic implications. He says, preach good news to the poor. So there are economic implications. This just wasn't for the rich. It was for the poor. It was for those who were marginalized. The second, we're going to see some relational implications. It said that the Messiah was going to bind up the broken hearted. So there are relational implications. The next we'll see are legal implications. We see a proclaimed freedom for the captives and also a release from darkness for the prisoners. The next implications are social justice implications. It says, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. This is the idea of social justice. Yes, it's in the Bible. And then it says to comfort those who mourn. That's the emotional implications of the Messiah coming, of Jesus. You see, when Jesus came in the life and the promise, when Jesus, this, this promise that Jesus has on offer in John 10.10, 10, that they may have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly, as some translations say, this is, this is a life that, that is an all-encompassing life. This is a life of, of fulfillment. This is a life of joy. This is a life of hope. This is a life of peace. This is a life of thankfulness. This is a life of, of overflowing in the spirit of God. And, and, and in original passage in verse 10, it says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, joy has become just this sentimental word that has lost meaning in our day. We think of joy and we just, we, maybe we just kind of put that on some spiritual shelf or some theological understanding or something and yet we don't live in the fullness of joy. I think it's because we've just sentimentalized the word joy without understanding it biblically. So I want to help us to recover some of the lost meaning and, and also rebuild a framework for a better future. 
a better future. Maybe it's, it's us still dealing with COVID, us dealing with loss, of, us dealing with hardship, us dealing with, with seen and unforeseen circumstances, but all the while that joy would be for us like a stepping stone to help us live fully in these great and difficult circumstances. That's what I want for us to joy, to be like these stepping stones to help us to, to live fully in great and difficult circumstances. So let's look at a, a definition of joy. This is right out of a Bible dictionary. This is not something I created. This is, again, right out of a Bible dictionary, and this is what it says. A positive human condition that can be either feeling or action, the Bible uses joy in both senses. So the joy is a feeling. It's, it's an emotional it's, it's emotional. And, and by it being emotional, we see words in the Bible like gladness, or sometimes it just says joy, or sometimes it says rejoice. And it's talking about that as an emotional thing. And this is what we see, honestly, with, uh, with the shepherds. In verse uh, 10, it says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people and also verse 20 the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen or heard and seen which were just as they were told so joy is a feeling we see this right in our passage so they also the just give you some scripture examples these won't be uh, on the screen but just just so you know that these are all over the word of God the shepherd experienced joy when he found his lost sheep in Matthew 18, verse 13. The multitude felt joy when Jesus healed a Jewish woman whom Satan had bound for 18 years in Luke 13, verse 17. The disciples, they, when they returned to Jerusalem, they were rejoicing after Jesus' ascension, Luke 24, verse 52. We also know that joy was the feeling in the church of Antioch when its members heard about the, uh, the council, in, uh, the Jerusalem council, the first council in Jerusalem in Acts 15. We see this example of joy being an, an emotional thing. Also, we see that joy is an action. It's an action. It's commanded. We're going to spend a considerable amount of time here because I think for us, we talked about it on the emotion, and we're going to touch on this. I'm going to give you a couple principles at the end of this talk to help us to really be able to sift through and validate or invalidate our emotions, sift it through God's word so that we can be a joyful people. But for now, we're going to talk about joy as action. Joy just as action, meaning things that we need to do. And this is, is all over the New Testament, particularly some in the Old Testament, for instance, like this. In Proverbs 5.18, it tells the reader to rejoice in the wife of his youth. It tells a husband to rejoice in the wife of his youth without reference to what she may be like. Without reference to what she may be like. To rejoice, that's the command of being joyful about the wife of a husband's youth. Christ instructed his disciples to rejoice when they were persecuted, reviled, and slandered. This is what he said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 11, and 12. The Apostle Paul commanded continuous rejoicing in Philippians 4, 4, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. And James said Christians are to consider it all joy when they fall into various testings because such testings produce endurance. And I just want you to know, this isn't easy. 
This isn't easy. This is a spiritual work, but these are commands. So we have to learn to do what Margaret Feinberg said, is to fight back with joy. Fight back, and we're commanded to, to hold joy and fight back with joy. When, when we're dealt with, with circumstances beyond our control that are overwhelming, that are just swamping our soul, to fight back with joy, this is the command of joy. You may have gathered this, but joy doesn't depend on circumstances because it rests in God's sovereign control of all things. Joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Let's be honest, this is the problem. Like, as human beings, we so much want our circle, we let our circumstances depict our life. If we have money, we're happy. If we don't have money, we're not happy. If we have control, we're happy. If we don't have control, we're not happy. We're not joyful. Joy does not depend on circumstances because it rests. Oh, I love that word. It rests in God's sovereign control of all things. That's the reason why we can have joy. This is the reason we fight back with joy. This is why it's the wonderful stepping stone to help us get through great or not so great circumstances that we can have this even emotionally and those emotions will go up and down but even in those in, in the emotional downs that we have to fight back to use this idea of joy and the reality of joy. Because it doesn't depend on our circumstances. Like in the circumstances would be us feeling like we're overwhelmed. The water is just rising, rising, rising and we have to tread water and we don't have the strength to get through. No, no, no. It's like the stepping stone. It's like, no, no, no. I'm in the middle of these circumstances but God's got me. I'm resting in God's sovereign control of all things. Of all things. Oh, I needed to be reminded of this today, and I believe you did too. Joy doesn't depend on these things. We see little hints of God's activity in passages like Romans 8, 28. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the Roman Christians. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that it's always gonna be cheery, that we're always gonna feel all, like these, this is awesome. But what it means is we, we learn how to trust God and rest in God's sovereign control of all things because we ultimately don't know the end of the story. God's writing our story. All we know is, is what we are enduring right now. And if we put our, our eyes on the issue, on the circumstances, we will be like Peter who was walking on water, but he took his eyes off of Jesus and, and, and started to get caught up in the circumstances he was in and he started to sink. That will be our story. We see other, uh, other times to where people going through difficult circumstances like in uh, Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 17 through 19. Habakkuk saw evil winning and he boldly asked God just a series of questions. And then Habakkuk, he comes to this conclusion. I just want to read this passage to you and some of this um, 
is not going to be on the screen, but I just want to allow you to hear the, all of this. Especially, I trembled inside when I heard this. My lips quivered with fear. My legs gave way beneath me, and I shook in terror. I will wait quietly. Notice what he says. I will wait quietly for the coming day when disaster will strike the people who invade us. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though, notice he, it's just like it's going from bad bad to worse he says even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty yet I will what's the next word rejoice he says yet I will rejoice I'm gonna fight back with joy yes all of these Habakkuk he says I see all of these circumstances it looks like evil's winning but I'm gonna fight back with joy I'm gonna rejoice But what's he rejoicing in? Is he rejoicing in circumstances? Absolutely not. It says in verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the Lord God of my salvation. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, able to tread upon the heights. He says, even though even though this is what the circumstances of my life looks like, I'm trusting in God's deliverance and I'm fighting back with joy. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. Oh, Christians, hey, here, here is this. We have much to rejoice about, don't we? I mean, we're no longer dead in our sins. Our sins have been washed clean. The, the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. From eternity to eternity, He is God and he, he holds our salvation secure in Him. So ultimately, we know the pathway of our life. That for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever should, would believe can have eternal life through Him. This is the promise of the gospel. If you're not in Christ today and you lack joy, I want you to know the only way that you're going to find joy is not by delving into your circumstances. It's by delving into Jesus. There's some other examples. So Habakkuk 3, 17 through 18 is a great example. We see another one with Paul and he writes to the church in Philippi. Now the backdrop of this is really profound as well because when Paul writes this epistle, this letter to the church in Philippi, he's in prison. He's in prison. And yet, what a lot of people call this this particular epistle, it's only four chapters, it's very short, but what a lot of people call this epistle is the epistle of joy because of what he talks about. And he talks about this this action, this command in Philippians 4.4, and he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now, this isn't just a command heaping on another command. He's like, well, I couldn't do the last thing. Now, I can't do this thing. No, no, no. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you can rejoice in the Lord always. Notice it says rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He says don't rejoice in your circumstances. You need to feel what you need to feel. You need to deal with that. You need to address that. But he says you rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because he is in control of all things. Uh, One of the Psalms of David in Psalm 30 11 through 22 at the dedication of the temple, I believe, is the context of this. This is what David says. He says, you turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with 
joy. It's everywhere, guys. It's everywhere. That my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I give you thanks forever. What is David saying? What is Habakkuk saying? What is Paul saying? What was Luke saying? That there would be good news of great joy for all the people. What is he saying? Fulfillment comes through Christ. There's yet another example in 1 Thessalonians 6 through 7. And what's amazing about this is Paul commends them. Though they've suffered, they welcomed the message with joy. This is what it says in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 7. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all of the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. It's like, not only did, did you endure this with joy, he says, you imitated us. You imitated the Lord in spite of your severe suffering. You welcomed the message, the message being delivered with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And indeed, it is the Spirit of God who gives us joy. It's the Holy Spirit who, who the Apostle Paul wrote to the, to the church in uh, the southern area of Galatia when he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And the second one on the list is what? Love, joy, and then peace. Love, and then joy, and then peace. These things are all connected. You may be asking the question, is like, well, how do I actually do that? Like, how is it possible to remain joyful at all times? How is it? How is it even possible to be joyful at all times? It's a great question. Because we're, we're in the middle of circumstances. I, I would say... For you and I, one of the things that we need to do is we need to be people of the word. We need to fight, even though we can't be in the same room together week to week or in the same home together, the same living room together, the same meeting space together. Instead, what we need to do is we need to still fight for community. We need to fight for communication one to the other. We need to, to fight with our own right, fight for the joy and connection with Jesus on our day-to-day devotional time. We need to, to be exploring the scriptures. In, in this season, we need to be exploring the scriptures. If we're not bathed in the scriptures, we're gonna be bathing in our culture and bathing in our circumstances and we, our message can very much be toxic and it should be life-giving. It should be salve to the soul. This is what the gospel is. It's good news for all the people. It's good news of great joy for all the people. You see, the, the key to the Christian's joy is its source, which is the Lord. That's the key. That's the key. I'll break it down in this way. If Christ is in me and I am in him, that relationship is not a sometimes experience. Like, ah, sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. It's either you have it or you don't. The Christian is always in the Lord and the Lord is always in the Christian. And that is always a reason for joy. Because it's the presence of the Holy Spirit that enables us to have joy, which is why we need to spend time with God, getting to know the source who is the Lord. R.C. Sproul said a couple things, and the second one's more challenging than the first. But he said this. He says, we rejoice in the Lord, and since he never leaves us or forsakes us, we can always rejoice. 
he really really uh, made simple what I made complicated maybe in that longer quote just a moment ago. See, joy is a Christian's duty and moral obligation. The second quote from R.C. Sproul is the challenging one. He says that means that the failure of a Christian to be joyful is a sin. And that unhappiness and a lack of joy are, in a certain way, manifestations of the flesh. Again, as we're taking our eyes off of Jesus and putting them onto ourselves, and what he says is, by if we just have a steady state of unhappiness or we're joyless people, he says, in a certain way, they're manifestations of the flesh, so we're living in the flesh. We're not connected to the Spirit because if we were connected to the Spirit, we would have an overwhelming uh, amount of growth of love and joy and peace. This is what we would have. So R.C. Sproul's onto something there, but it's challenging. Now let's get into the nitty-gritty of this and let's talk about joy not just from a commanded standpoint but the emotional standpoint as well. We lack joy when we don't have control of our emotions or when we ignore them. See, we, we don't have joy when we, when we don't have control of our emotions. If our emotions control us and we have severe ups and severe downs and our whole life looks like that and our relationships are going to look like that and I bet your time card at work looks like that, I bet your productivity at work looks like that, your connection with your wife and husband looks like that, your connection with your kids looks like that, I bet... That also would be, if we actually to took uh, an attendance, a direct attendance, your attendance, if we were to check a list off, I bet we could look at a lot of Christians' lives who have emotional highs and lows, who aren't maintaining joy, and we'd be able to say, oh, they were on an emotional high so they were at church, or they were on an emotional low and they weren't at church. I bet that could be tracked if we really wanted to. The other side of it is, is just ignoring them. So there's a trap either way, either to be controlled by our emotions and gain no control, spirit control of our emotions, or to ignore them. Because if we ignore them, we snuff out the power of God. We snuff out the gladness that we should experience, the emotional connection that the Spirit of God gives us. And we snuff that out. And so either we we are controlled by our emotions at times or we ignore them. And if we ignore them, what we do is we, we suffer. And this is the individual who, who walks around and, and their countenance doesn't change. You, you can't really see where they are. They, they don't really have the joy of the Lord upon them. And, and some of you know what I'm talking about. There's just some folks who just have the joy of the Lord. It's like all over their being. And as soon as they walk into the room and you're like, whoa, that person's different. And I, I know some of us have some sort of mental illness or we have maybe some things that we're going through and maybe we just suffer with um, like what is called melancholy. I, I understand that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you don't have some, some legitimate medical things going on but what I'm saying is in those times it's most important that you don't stray away from the Lord that you cling to the Lord and maybe for you you don't feel that emotional joy but you have to take action to rejoice in the Lord always again I say rejoice because if you're a follower of Jesus you have the presence of Jesus even if you don't feel like it I think one of the things we do too is we intellectualize everything or we stay overly busy just to deny or escape our emotions. 
And this also leads to life, a life lacking joy. We either intellectualize everything and it's like we can, we can get so consumed with, with data and facts and all the interesting things about sermons or we go through the Bible and like, oh, this is great, this cross-reference here and all this and it just stays in our mind and never really sinks down to the soul level, never sinks down to the heart. So we're really never changed. We just, we intellectualize it. Where we're, it, it and, and for us, maybe it's because of our family uh, background or maybe you've just never been given the the freedom to know even how to emote or how to feel or even how to have joy maybe you were you you were raised in a home where joy wasn't something that was on display it was just hard work that was always on display so for you you just kind of live this narrative of like I exist just to work it's these type of situations where we tend to intellectualize everything it's a way of keeping us disconnected from what the Spirit of God would want. Or also maybe staying overly busy. Always trying to be busy, 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 busy because if you're always busy, you never have silence, you never have solitude, you never have Sabbath, you just stay busy, it's like you can just run away from your emotions and you never can run away from your emotions and you can never escape them. You can never escape them. And these are things that lead us to a life lacking joy. We need to get on the other side of this, not to to take the bait and um, to struggle with these things. So letting emotional highs and lows rule our lives, it leads to joylessness and denying our emotions leads to controlling fear. That's ultimately the reason why we can't do these things. That's the reason why the gospel is so much better. That's the reason why the joy of the Lord is available to Christians that is the defining characteristic of the spirit of God. So I wanna end with this. I wanna end with, with something to help you process emotion. And I'm just gonna call it a daily check-in, especially with all that we're going through right now. We need a daily check-in. I know some of you are stuck at home. Some of you haven't worked in a week or two. Some of you are, are struggling maybe even at work. Maybe you just feel lonely because you're no longer in a workplace with other people. You're just at home most of the time and you're just feeling lonely. And I wanna help you to be able to, to sift through and either validate or invalidate some of the emotions that we go through so we can fight back with joy. So I think we need a daily check-in. And the first thing on our daily check-in is this. It's an awareness of what you're feeling. It starts with this awareness of what you're feeling. To just slow down and gain an awareness of what you're feeling. And to do this, I, I think that we need to go to step two. We just need to verbalize how we feel. A daily check-in, it starts with an awareness of how we're feeling. Slowing down long enough to allow God to speak to us, to give us the, the comfort, his presence, so we can actually have an awareness of how we're feeling. Also, that we can verbalize how we feel. Maybe we need to verbalize that to a friend. Maybe we need to verbalize that to our spouse. Maybe the way that we just verbalize this is by just writing it down in a journal. But we need to verbalize. We need to get it out. That's the important part, getting it out. The next thing is this. We need to ask God if those emotions are serving him and us. We need to ask God. After we get an awareness of what we're feeling and we bring that awareness in, now we verbalize how we feel. We need to ask God if those emotions are serving him and us. 
Are they serving? God, are they serving you? Are they serving us? Which leads to the fourth thing. Replace those bad emotions with God's word. If we have these bad emotions, we can't just stuff those emotions. We can't just busy ourselves to, to try and outrun those emotions because just as, as I was told for all those years when I was a kid, wherever you go, there you are. You can't outrun your emotions, good, bad, or otherwise. So we need to replace those bad emotions with God's word, with the promises of God. But it's okay to, to stop and have these daily check-ins, especially now, so that we can replace those bad emotions with God's word, with the promises of God. The fifth thing is this, just the acceptance or accepting our circumstances. You see, if I'd have put number five as number one, <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to know what to do with that. The only reason we can accept our circumstances is A, because we've, we've invited God into our life. We've slowed down long enough. He's given us awareness of, of what we're feeling. The second thing, we've verbalized how we felt. We've asked God if those emotions are serving Him and serving us. We've also invited God's Word and we've replaced those bad emotions with God's Word and God's promises. And now we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice and now we can accept our circumstances because we're living in the presence of God because we know that it is our time of rejoicing and fighting back with joy because God is the sovereign God in control of all things let's close in prayer today father we come to you today and lord I just so thank you for joy I thank you for the gladness I thank you, God, that even in the time of Roman peace, you revealed to the believers in that time and you still reveal to us today that there's so many things in our, our world right now that is a counterfeit peace. There's so many things that's a counterfeit joy. And Lord, we've just explored your word and you showed us. You showed us from your word. Now, God, I pray that you would show us from your spirit. Allow us to be joyful people. Sifting through the gamut of emotions. Having the freedom to do so, knowing that you love us, you care for us, because we're your kids and you're a good father. And good fathers love to hear how their kids feel. So Lord, whether or not we, we are feeling it, we feel joyful, we, we either need the emotion and the courage of action, God. But either way, we trust you. We ask that you would do what only you can do in all of our lives. And all God's people said, amen.